Blog Talk Radio. I have an emergency. What is your location? Welcome to Rescue Radio. I'm Margie. And I'm Jerry. Hey, it sounds like there's a war going on out there. Well, there is a war. There's a war going on for the souls of everybody on the planet. And just about everything that can be disputed is being debated and disputed, I'd say. Yeah. Well, today we don't want to dispute things. We want to clarify things. That's kind of the purpose of our our show. Yeah, and we, we want to have a little fun with you, too. So first of all, right away, if you're listening and you get you know, a feeling like you want to call in, I'm going to give you a number and you can just be thinking about that. And the number you want to call in at, uh, you don't even know what we're talking about yet, do you? But that's okay. Just write this down. 347-215-8015. And as you're doing that, I think we'll start with a prayer. How about that? Let's, let's do it. All right. Because this is war, we're going to act like it's war. We're going to, we're going to pray for the divine protection of God. Father, we thank you right now. We declare that you are the Lord God that you are in control of all things, and we're praying that your will be done on earth, in and through us, right now, as it's being done and declared in heaven. We thank you, Lord God, for the privilege to be able to be part of the kingdom of God, ambassadors of Jesus Christ, here to proclaim the truth and enforce the victory of Calvary. We thank you for your blood, Jesus, shed on the cross for us to pay for our sins, that you bought and paid for it yourself, and that you've given it to us, salvation, as a free gift. We thank you for giving us power over all the power of the enemy, that nothing shall by any means hurt us or harm us or interfere with us or this radio broadcast, Father. We bind every spirit of confusion, disruption, delay, hindrance, the work of the thief, confusion. We ask, Father God, that you give people eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to rest and receive the revelation of your love, Lord God. We thank you also for the divine power of your blood to protect us, We ask for the protection to cover us, our families, those who work for us, pray for us, the instruments and equipment that you've given to us to work with, Father, that no weapon forged against us or formed against us will prosper, that nothing Satan does or says, no deeds, no words, no actions taken against us will be able to bring forth any shame, trouble, or reproach because we are more than conquerors through you, Lord God. We thank you that we rest our hope in you and ask that you'd cause us to rightly divide your holy word of truth that the thoughts and the meditations of all of our hearts would be right and acceptable in your sight. We thank you, Lord God, that you said, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. So we ask for that wisdom and divine direction. Now we rest our hope fully in you, and we thank you for this opportunity. We pray your blessing upon everyone who's here, who's listening, those who will listen uh, through, to the archived version. And I just pray right now that you guide our conversation, that Jerry and I would speak as the oracles of God. Amen. Amen. Well, you know, there's a lot of uh, confusion that people seem to have about, you know, what it means to be saved, and uh, we want to talk about that a little bit this evening. Well, you know, kind of connecting with what we talked about last week, um, Jerry and I both got saved in totally opposite ways. I mean, he had what I call the knockdown, drag-out version, standing at the altar, hands raised up, got filled with the Holy Spirit, felt the power, the presence of God, all kinds of worship going on. 
a miniature Book of Acts kind of uh, Day of Pentecost kind of thing. And with me, it was just totally, absolutely as opposite of that as you could get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you uh, you just you essentially received Christ and you believed because you could not call God a liar. Now, how did that work? Well, we're going to go into that scripture tonight, but basically uh, our salvation doesn't come to us through a feeling. It comes to us through the, through the declaration of faith. And when I read the scripture from the word of God, it says, um, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I read that and I realized God was the author of that statement. And if I would have called uh, that statement not true, then I would have had to call God a liar. And I wasn't quite ready to call the God of the universe a liar. So I, by faith, said, okay, I'm saved. I mean, I did what you said, God. And I think a lot of people get really confused about whether they're saved or not because they think there has to be a certain feeling that goes along with it. Right. And, uh, you know, at Christmas time, uh, at least uh, in, our, in our family, there's a, there's a variety of people that have different emotional makeups and so forth, different ages and so forth. And uh, some people receive Christmas gifts and they're all excited. They're screaming and jumping up and down. They run around and hug and kiss everybody. And then other people just receive a gift and they're just smiling. They say they're very quiet about it. They say thank you and there it is. But each each one mm-hmm. received the gift. The point is that they receive the gift. People have different emotional reactions to receiving the gift. But the point is that salvation uh, that Jesus gives us is a free gift. The point is is that we receive it and uh, can be any a large variety of uh, emotional responses connected with that. Absolutely, and receiving the gift is receiving the gift. It doesn't mean you have to earn it, and I think that's where a lot of confusion comes in. I counsel people all the time, and one of the basic problems, uh, that ba- basic resistances or ideas that people have in their mind is, I don't deserve, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough. And I think Satan really uses that to kind of bring a lot of resistance, confusion, doubt about whether or not we really are saved because we're going back to thinking and feeling that we have to earn it, that we have to somehow be worthy of it. Yeah, and I remember when I was a teenager, there were several different times where I really wanted to commit my life over to Jesus Christ. I mean, I was very serious about that, but I had the idea that I had to keep the Ten Commandments perfectly. uh, and and that you know that did not work very well. Where did you learn that? I'm not sure how I picked that up. If I picked that up through church, probably uh, I didn't know a lot about the Bible, but I figured if I give my life over to Jesus, I'm going to have to live a life so perfectly. I'm going to have to totally obey the Ten Commandments, and uh, well, you know that didn't work for me. I would I had broken two or three of them before I even got out of bed in the morning. And then uh, I thought, too, that... Okay, which two did you break? I'm curious. <laughs> I, I don't even remember. You break one, you break them all, right? That's, that's what the word says. Yeah, yeah so a broken chain is... A broken chain. A broken chain. So, and then I had the idea, too, that if I give my life to the Lord, all my fun, my good times are all gone. And there would be no more fun in my life. I just have to go to church, wear a suit. Uh, you know, sit in those hard pews week after week, and and church is very boring. Yeah, and church was yeah was, mm-hmm. was was very very boring, and so I didn't want any boredom in my life. I wanted Jesus, but I didn't want the boredom of what I saw as religion around right. me. 
Right, right, religion, yeah. You know, and, and going back, again, I'm, I'm going back to some of the conversations I've had with people that come to me. Um, a lot of times, if you don't know that you're saved, if you're not sure of that, if you don't have the assurance that you know that you know that you're saved, um, and you don't even really maybe know what that means, then you have no authority to do any business or transact any business, take any stand against evil in this world. But even going back to um, my experience, I believe the church uh, does teach us or tries to teach us what that salvation should look like, but the enemy always gets in there with his two cents worth and makes it all confused. But I think even as a little girl, um, my heart was tender towards the Lord. And I think a lot of people actually get saved, if you will, when they're children and they have a tender heart. The Lord reveals himself to them in a moment. They have no idea um, that they're saved or accepting Jesus or born again because they don't even have those words in their vocabulary yet. And, and so um, what we want to do tonight in the beginning, this is kind of a journey we're going on, and we don't want to make it heavy. And, 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 uh, you know, but we want you to know that you know. Jesus wants us to know that we know. He doesn't want you to just know. He wants you to know that you know, that you are saved, that you are his, that you are bought with a price, that you are loved, and it's not about your being worthy. And so um, I'm going to ask you, Jerry, if you want to read for me um, the, the verses in Romans 10, verse 1 and 2 and 3 and 4, and, um, and give, give the people some sense of where we're going to start here. Okay, uh, Romans chapter uh, 10, uh, verses 1 through 4, it says, uh, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness in seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Okay, so this is, is, you know, people maybe you haven't maybe read or looked at this for a while yourself, but you see, Paul is talking here about being saved, talking about Israel. And from the very beginning, Israel, uh, well, from the very beginning, God's salvation plan, God's plan of redemption was to be through the blood of Jesus Christ. Even going back to the very initial stories of Cain and Abel in the Bible, you see the beginning of the debate, the war, the bloodshed over the very issue that we're still fighting over, and that is how do you serve God? What does it mean to be saved? What pleases God? How do we uh, repair the relationship with God? What needs to be done? Cain believed it was it, his, uh, his sacrifices, his work, his fruit, the fruit of his labor, his garden vegetables, was going to be the sacrifice that would bring him back into favor with God. He, he worked, he earned it, he, by the sweat of his brow, he offered it to God, and yet God rejected his sacrifice his sacrifice and and when and cable uh, Abel, cable cable's a new word when abel offered his sacrifice which was the blood of the lamb that was pleasing to god and if you look even beyond that the lord himself had to kill the first shed the first blood kill the first lamb to create the skins to cover adam and eve's sin or god their nakedness and so the the, the debate between the blood of jesus the blood of the Lamb of God, who's to take, who come to take away the sins of the world, versus man's efforts becomes the issue. And, you know, it's as they, seeking without, they, they had a zeal for God. They wanted God. They wanted to do stuff to please God, but they didn't have the knowledge or the revelation of what that should look like. 
and they were ignorant of God's righteousness, and so therefore they tried to establish their own righteousness without submitting to the righteousness. In the book of Ecclesiastes, it says that God has put eternity in the hearts of men. So there is within every one of us, being we are created in the likeness and image of God, there is a desire to be right, to connect with God. It, it, I've seen it in, you know, I see this as in my travels around the world. There are all types of religions and all types of forms of worship, and it's how do we get right, how do we connect in a right relationship with God? And there's, there's, there's a whole list of all kinds of ceremonies and rituals, which really amounts to idolatry, but the, it's the desire of people to know the Lord, to be right in God's sight, but often it's misguided, as it was in the case of Israel here. They were ignorant of God's righteousness. Well, it says, verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. In other words, we, we should probably talk a little bit about the law. It's, it's, you know, one of the most difficult things to understand because I think, as we learned in our early religious experiences, we had no longer, no more than gotten saved and were thrown into the midst of a huge religious battle full of legalism, law, clothesline holiness. Do you know what clothesline holiness is? Well, clothesline holiness was, in our case, it was a, a scripture verse from Deuteronomy 22.5 that said it was an abomination for a woman to wear a man's apparel. And so the, the rule coming down, one of the rules coming down was that you uh, women were now never allowed to wear slacks because that was a form of men's apparel and that was unacceptable to God. So that had been added to the Calvary, the, the, price, the price that Jesus paid his blood. We had added now one little thing. Well, you, you're saved if you believe in Jesus and don't wear pants. And I think the law kind of adds a whole lot of things here and there. Every version, every religion, every sect, every denomination fights over something and, and, and makes, you know, just kind of muddies the waters on how simple and wonderful grace and love really are. There are so many religious opinions, religious views. And remember that same church, there were times when a, a missionary would come and want to show slides or a film about their ministry, and it was not allowed to be shown because it was considered that, you know, movies were evil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so I think that goes back, it kind of reminds me of what the uh, what happened in the Old Testament. Um, well, let's go back to the, the behind the scenes for a second. We have God, we have Satan, and we have us. And there is a war going on in the heavenlies behind the scenes for us, for our souls. And the war is, of course, between God and Satan. God, in his great love, created us. And because God is love, God required a, a, a response to that love that would be freely given. He didn't create us to be little robots, wind up, you know, speak and do and whatever he says. We had the freedom. He gave us, he built us, designed us with the freedom to reject him if we wanted to because that's the only way you could really have love. So God made us free, free moral agents, as they say. Well, here's, here's a problem I think a lot of people have. A lot of people think God is all about rules. I mean, he gave all those specific laws and rules about sanitation and holidays and different uh, ways that uh, he was to be worshipped in the Old Testament. So how can we help people, Margie, 
that believe that just God is all, he's harsh and he's all about, you know, you keep my rules or else. Well, that is a God of fear. That's not a God of love. And if you reduce anything you're doing down, it'll reduce down to either love, peace, rest, and or fear. So if, you're, if your God is a God of rules, and, and, and I mean, I'm not saying God is not a just God, and that God will not judge evil. He, yes, he will. But, you know, the, 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 the penny has two sides. Truth has two parts to it. It has the, the back and the front. But God is a God of mercy and justice. But going back to the war between God and Satan, Satan is trying to separate us from God, set us up in opposition to ourselves, to God, to create bitter strife among us. And, but the rule in the war between God and Satan um, is, is, takes into account the choice is ours. Whom will you serve? Whose report will you believe? Um, the, the basic rule is Romans 6.16, if you want to write it down, look it up. Whom you yield yourself, servant to obey, his slave you become. Jesus said it this way, he who commits sin becomes the slave of sin. In other words, if you listen to the devil, God says it this way, okay, if de- Satan, if they listen to you, you get them. If they listen to me, I get them. Well, that's, all, that's the one and only rule. But the problem is Satan comes in there and lies to us and makes the lie look like truth, so we make a choice and we fall for the lie. It's just like the little kid who's, who's falling for the lie. The kidnapper comes, shows him the candy, you know, offers him a ride, even though the child has been warned not to go with strangers. He, he's persuaded to believe that this man or this person is safe and this candy is good. And maybe the, the kid never says, and your father sent me to pick you up after school. So he is being deceived, lied to, um, even though he has no intention of wanting to be kidnapped. Yeah. Um, no, let, let's go back a second to the, oh, why did God give all these laws to, and, and to the children of Israel? Well, it's a long story, but the basic story is when Satan heard um, in the garden, after he deceived Eve, and Eve said to God, she said, he, the serpent, deceived me. He lied to me. She knew what had happened. God knew what had happened. And God knew that he needed to protect his people to provide redemption. So he did. He said, this is what's going to happen. Someone is going to come who's going to crush your head, Satan. So the head crusher was going to come. And, and yet the, the, he didn't say when. And there was a quite a, a remarkable amount of time between the, the time that promise was given and the time the head crusher came. So God had a problem on his hands. And the problem was to preserve his people and keep them alive until such time as Jesus Christ would come to die on the cross and provide the grace, the salvation, the, the shedding of his blood. And so um, God had to provide a, a protection for the people. And I believe that he began that uh, protection with the selection of, of Abraham. Abraham was a man who was um, a common, he, he was, uh, uh, well, called by God. But before that, he was just a common man, a a worshiper of idols, and uh, brought up, actually, if you look in some of the old manuscripts, he was actually brought up uh, in, as the, you know, in the courts of, of a heathen. Uh, his father was the, the um, uh, what is that, the kind of the chief of staff of, of a heathen king. And uh, Abraham was called by God to lay down his idols and follow God, and which he did, which then qualified him through that obedience to become the, the patriarch, the father of uh, the children of Israel. Now, when the children of Israel, uh, they, they were, had to be marked. They had to be set aside. They had to be um, protected 
identified in a certain way so that when Satan would come before God and say, oh, they're, they're not listening to you, they're listening to me, they're following me, I have a right to test them, I have a right to bring curses on them, God could point back down and say, no, look, at they're, they're walking within the parameters of the things I've told them to do, they're being obedient, my blessing remains, you do not have a case against them. So Satan was constantly trying to bring up accusation. He is called the accuser of the brethren for a reason. Um, so he, so so that law. Now, if you look back at the story, Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot uh, Esau and Jacob, both of them, and they were twins. And they um, there was a dispute, and eventually Jacob uh, got the birthright, got the blessing, got was, was called Israel. Esau was kind of sent out on his own. Esau did not seem to have an interest in the things of, of God or the destiny that God had called him to as much as Jacob. And so Jacob uh, went off and got married and had four wives and 12 kids. And um, in those days, that was pretty much okay. God never said a word about it, so it was obviously the way they did it back then. And so he brought those children back um, to the promised land. Uh, that w- and, and God had promised them that land, but they were still living it. Well, then they got hauled off to Egypt because of the famine. A big, long story. You can read about it. We can talk about it later. But anyway, when they came out of Egypt, now they'd been in Egypt for 430 years, and they had the ways of Egypt in their, kind of in their blood. They, they hadn't yet been given the Ten Commandments. And so they were, had, knew the ways of the gods of, of Isis and and, and, and the Egyptian gods and all the paganism and the idolatry and the witchcraft and the magic and all of the junk. And so when God brought them out of Egypt, he wanted to reinforce them as his children, purify them, you know, get the junk out of them. And actually he talks about that in Romans where they, when they went to the Red Sea, it was kind of like a baptism for them. It was like purging them of the junk. And then they went to Mount Sinai and God gave them the Ten Commandments. It's like, uh, I suppose, if you have uh, a child, say a a child, uh, uh, say uh, you remember a child that's a member of a royal line in a particular nation, they're going to someday inherit the throne of that nation. So they undergo special protection and preparation for that role to keep that line uh, in proper place. So they're ready for that place when they come into their own Authority. So God was uh, preserving, picking out a people through Abraham, through which the Messiah would come someday to give us uh, the redemption that uh, we so desperately needed. Now, there's tremendous amount of drama in all of this, and it, the Bible just kind of gives us the cliff notes on what happened. But, you know, Moses went up into the, the mountain, and God gave him ten commandments, which we pretty much all know. Thou shalt not murder, honor thy father and mother. Thou shalt have one God, you know, keep holy the Lord's day, the Sabbath day, and, and thou shalt not lie, covet, etc. Um, and, or commit adultery. I mean, there's many, there's 10 commandments. Okay, so that's pretty simple. But when they got down from, and then Moses was also given a, a plan for the building of the tabernacle. The tabernacle was to be a place of worship and that would identify his people. And it was very symbolic, all the colors, all of the layers of this and that. Everything was very symbolic and a kind of a foretelling of Jesus Christ's life and death. It was kind of like a preview of what was going to happen. 
Well, as time went on, and I don't want to skip it but too fast over it, but as time went on, um, God just asked them to, to keep him as the one true God, not to worship or uh, false gods, idols like the heathen, and not to marry into their family. So that became basically the law. The law became like a, a fence or a pen. And when you put your cattle inside of a pen, two ways of looking at it. You can say, well, I'm putting my cattle in this pen to keep them, protect them from the wolves and the lions, and I'm, I'm protecting them. So the pen becomes a protection. However, if you're on the inside of that pen, you may look at it and say, well, this is confining. This is not protecting me. This is holding me back, keeping me from fun, keeping me from my freedom. And so the enemy used that as a way to pull people out from under the protections of God into his, into agreement with his seductions, his sin. And as they became uh, participating in the idolatry of the pagans around them, they were drawn away and, and, and the, the law was not able to save them uh, and it, it lost its power to protect them. However, that was the, the thing that God would use as the Old Testament went, we went through the Old Testament. The law is the thing God used to continue to protect and pronounce blessing upon his people. Yeah. And at the same time, the law, uh, by keeping the law, would not make somebody righteous. The idea was that um, through the works of the law, Scripture says, no flesh shall be justified. So, so, but what happened, and, and we're kind of covering a lot of ground here uh, today, but when you got to the, you read in the New Testament about the scribes and the Pharisees who were so meticulously, they, they wanted to please God so bad, they wanted to follow every rule, every jot and tittle to the, to the nth degree, that they, to make sure they kept that, they kept on adding more and more rules to the law of God and they, in doing so, they missed the whole point of, of, of salvation and what their duty was before God and to, uh, to help other people. Well, they turned relationship with God into rules. And I think a lot of religions still do that. They, turn, they, they make relationship with God about rules. And, you know, rules are not very satisfying because at any point, the enemy can always come in and say, well, you didn't do that quite right. You need to do that over. Not perfect. Performance and perfection became and works uh, going back to Cain works became the devil's way her, his solution to man's fallen condition was that they needed to get it back by trying harder and being good and God was saying no there's no way you can get this back and the reason he said that and God is right is because the real problem started with sin and the Bible says the soul that sins shall die so when Adam and Eve sinned they they died in a way. They, their souls did not leave their bodies, but their spirits, their, their candle kind of light went out spiritually, and they felt abandoned, alone, and um, not that God left them, but they just weren't having that same fellowship with them that they had before they had sinned. And so they were eager to get back into that place of favor and blessing and forgiveness with God. And because we are so eager to go there and be there, Satan will lie to us on how to get there. And so for a lot of people, even today, we're very frustrated because you're on the torture rack, Satan's torture rack of try harder, never enough, be good, never good enough. I've got to, but I can't. Um, 
and, and, and so we're just pulled both directions, opposite directions, trying to serve God. And we become very, we have a bitter taste in our mouth about God then because we think, well, God is making this way too hard. It's not fair. And so the children of Israel, going back to the law, they, they were enticed. Um, they thought that they were missing something. They thought that the, the uh, pagans were having more fun. And if you stop and think about it, it may look for a while like the pagans are having fun, but really all that they're doing is just incredibly empty and pointless. There's just no, and, and Jesus said, you know, if you don't know if you're in the right spot right now, just, just reduce it down like you did in math class. Reduce it down to its lowest common denominator, what you're doing. And if what you're doing um, creates stress, fear, anxiety, um, unbelief, confusion, pain, never enough, it's not God. And Jesus said, like I said, by their fruits you shall know them. So if what you're doing reduces down to love and peace and joy, you're in the right place. And again, God is not so fussy about the language we use. He wants you to know that salvation, it's about what we know. It's about who we know. It's about not what we do. It's about who we know, that Jesus Christ is the end of the law. He came to finish, satisfy, make the law happy, fulfill it. Because going back to death, somebody had to die. This demand of the law, this, this universal code of justice, an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, wasn't going to be happy with a basket of fruit. Someone had to die. And that person who had to die had to be both human and, and God because there was no human that was 100% human that wasn't already under the curse of death. So all humans could die, but it didn't count for anything because they were already condemned to die. So someone had to come who was a divine God-man, Jesus Christ, um, someone who was not under the curse of the law, someone who had already was not forced to and was going to have to die because he was already property of Satan, but someone who could freely, willingly give his life, his blood, because it had to be blood for blood. It had to be a death for a death. And so that's why salvation does not come through, is not, the problem isn't solved through works. It's solved through a mercy gift, the gift of the blood of Jesus applied to our account. It's so simple. It's not about deserving. It's not about worthy. Once you get this, you can start to, everything will start to fall into place. You've got to kind of like deprogram in a way. We've been too programmed by um, the, the lies of this world. And, and the God of this world has preached a lot of gospel. He's preached a lot of gospel to a lot of people and used a lot of God's words mixed with the gospel to make them think it is the gospel, but it's not. It's just like if I were going to poison someone and I, I wouldn't, pour a, you know, a, a shot glass full of arsenic and hand it to you and say, hey, drink this, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to poison you. I would, if I was really evil, I would cook them a nice pot roast or a nice sirloin steak and I'd season it just right and then I'd drop a few drops of arsenic on it and I'd serve it up to them and I'd say, look, this is great food, you know, eat your meat, eat your vegetables, you need this, it'll help you grow strong and it'll kill you. But see, that's what the devil does with the gospel. He takes the words, the gospel of Jesus Christ and he mixes it with lies. And people eat it and they get a bellyache. It's like, I, I look at it this way, it's like mixing gravel with your oatmeal in, in church. Most churches mix their gravel with their oatmeal. And it kind of all looks the same. You eat it and you get a bellyache. And you wonder, oh, this is too hard. I can't do this. Never can make God happy. Always feeling guilty. Something's always bothering you. And you, you never, and after a while, that, that doesn't work. I mean, we just lose heart. We say, I can't be that good. And, of course, the devil's always looking at your behavior. 
whereas Jesus is looking at your being. Looks like you have a scripture, honey. Yeah, well, you know, Jesus, he made was made sin for, for us. He who knew no sin, in other words, he, he, did, he never sinned. He, he lived a life perfectly pleasing to God. He became sin for us. And actually, he was like the sponge that absorbed the sin of the whole world. And, and, and he, the Bible says he became a curse for us. Yeah, that's like all, all the curses, the curse of sin, all our disobedience, all our pride, our anger, our rebellion, all the violence, jealousy, strife, all that stuff became um, uh, absorbed on Jesus Christ. It became placed on him. And so as that was placed on him in our behalf, he took our punishment. All the crime, uh, all the crimes that we have committed against the Lord through our unbelief and fear and listening to the lies of the enemy, he paid the penalty in full uh, on the cross for us. And so um, as he was there on the cross absorbing all that sin, uh, the Bible says that um, as, as he was there, um, we receive uh, freedom through his uh, sacrifice. Yeah, and I think a prop, part of the problem is, um, you know, if you look at it from the very beginning, we've got God and the devil. We've got God with the truth, the devil with the lie. The devil's always trying to make the lie look like the truth. As a matter of fact, the devil uses a lot of truth to tell a lie. Like I said, he mixes about 95% truth with about 5% lie, and you get a mess. You get a lie. And a lot of people buy into the, oh, this is close enough. This is good enough. I can, I can live with this. But, you know, your spirit is saying, ah, this is not right. This doesn't. Most people don't even know what it feels like to walk in the spirit, to feel that peace, because they're never there. They're always torn between what they think and what they feel and what they should. And Jesus, you know, that's all law. That's basically, I should be good. Let me just say this. I got to say this. You know, you can learn as much about the Bible from what it doesn't say as what it does say. And there's a couple of words Jesus never basically used, at least not in the King James, New King James. They might have thrown them in the Message Bible or something, but in the basic text, Jesus doesn't go around saying, okay, guys, uh, what do you think? Uh, what do you think we should do today? Um, how do you feel, John, about what happened yesterday? Um, or or you, you guys, you need, you need to try harder. You, know, you need to try to heal the sick. Okay, just give it a try. You need to try to feed the 5,000. He didn't say try. He didn't say should. He didn't say how do you feel, what do you think. He didn't say any. This is another thing he never said, and this is very important. He never says, guys, you're going to have to be good. You're just going to have to get that through your head. You're going to have he didn't say. He didn't say, okay, I'm going now. Um, he had a couple final words. Guys, listen up. You're going to have to be good to get to heaven. Because he knew it was not about works. He knew they couldn't do it. They couldn't be good enough. Because if we could be good enough to get to heaven, then God would owe us heaven. We would have earned it. I would. And when the devil comes to you and says, you don't deserve God, you don't deserve love, you know what? By very definition, love cannot be earned. So don't fall for that lie. You can't earn it anyway. So how could you ever deserve it? And it's not that we deserve or don't deserve anything. It's not about us. It's about God lost his kids and he wanted them back. Yeah, it's a, when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. And uh, we, uh, we get so absorbed in do, 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 
And what we need to get absorbed in is done, done, done. Jesus did it all. He paid it all. He paid the full penalty uh, that our sins deserve and to, to give us a whole new life. So what, what being saved is, is, is so simple that we can miss it. Um, <laughs> Very true. Most, a lot of people just miss it. We make it all complicated and everything. And uh, it, in, in Acts chapter 16, there was a guy that was a jailer. Uh, this, is, this is the story of the original jailhouse rock, which did not come from Elvis Presley. It came from God himself when he shook the prison in, in, the, in the town of Philippi. And um, well, Paul and Silas were there singing praises to God at midnight. They were all beaten bloody for preaching the gospel. And um, there was an earthquake that came, and the jailer came in. He thought all the prisoners were loose, gone, and that means he was going to die. So he thought, well, I might as well just kill myself now because they're going to kill me anyway. And he came running into the cell where Paul and Silas were, and he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, that's a big question that a lot of people ask, isn't it? Well, it's a question of do, and the same with the rich young ruler who came to Jesus, and he had a he wanted to see if he had an A on his report card, and so he said, Jesus, uh, how am I doing here? I've kept all the, the Ten Commandments. I've done this and this, and Jesus says, well, one thing you've missed. He says, go sell all that you have and come follow me. But before the conversation started, um, the rich young ruler approached Jesus by saying, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? There's that word do again, do, 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 how he says to do with works. And Jesus says, it, it, Jesus blew past the opportunity to, to lead this guy to salvation. He said, there is none good but one, and that is God. Oh, if Jesus is saying right flat out, there's nobody good enough to get to heaven. The law can't make you good enough. I mean, the law was just there to give you protection until such time as I'd get here. There's nobody that's going to keep the law good enough to get to heaven. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. None is righteous, no, not one. All up. So, so the, the guy is, Jesus is saying, there's nobody that's going to be good enough. Now, if, if he says that, there's nobody who can be good enough to get to heaven, then God would be totally unreasonable and unfair to make that the, qual- the qualification and the criteria for getting into heaven is being good when he tells us we can't be good enough. There's the old uh, statement that God does not grade on the curve. So there, there might be a certain person that's very morally upright, and then there might be someone that's just a total reprobate, just doesn't care what anybody thinks, and just is very harmful, hurtful, just going crazy in sin. But in a sense, we're all, all of sin and come from short of the glory of God. The so-called goodness of that person is not enough to get him into heaven. And the the so-called uh, evil or badness or sin of that reprobate is, is not bad enough to keep him out of heaven except, you know, through Jesus Christ. So, that, you know, there, the, the, there's an old saying, too, that says all the ground is level at the cross. So we all come by the same way. And, and the way that Paul said, uh, spoke to the Philippian jailer is true today. He said, to answering the question, what must I do to be saved from the Philippian jailer? Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved, you and your family. In other words, we all come the same way. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done and his goodness. Our salvation is not based on our goodness. 
It's based on the goodness of God who has reached out to mankind. He sees us that we're lost and we need to be rescued. Okay, so it's like this. Okay, a lot of people, this grading on the curve sort of thing, um, it's, salvation is not like that. Salvation is either you're, you're on the bus or you're not on the bus. You either caught the bus or you missed the bus. It's like being pregnant. You're either pregnant or you're not pregnant. I mean, there's certain things, salvation, you're either in or you're not in. Um, it's not about, you know, I can lose my salvation if I sin too much. I didn't get into heaven by not sinning. I can't lose my salvation uh, by, you know, by sinning. I have to accept Jesus Christ. And let's go back to Romans 10 for a second because, as Jerry said, it's the word it says in the Bible in verse uh, 8 say. What does righteousness say? What does the word of God say? It says the word of salvation is near you, even in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Here it is, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes to righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And then it says in verse 13, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So this word of salvation is near you, inside of us. It's the Spirit bearing witness with us if we will just simply say, yes, I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, rose from the dead, and is coming back again. And that's, if you believe, if you confess that and believe that, and you say, well, Okay, I can confess it, but I don't know if I believe it. Well, a lot of times the devil is trying to make you think that you don't believe what you already know. If you know this, you don't have to discuss it with the devil anymore. Like, do I believe this? You already know it in your spirit because God's spirit, it says, bears witness with our spirit. So don't make your salvation the big block for the rest of your life. I don't know if I'm saved. In or out, in or out. Got to be good. You just, you know what? Get over it. Deal with it. It's like signing on the dotted line. You bought the car. You signed the contract. The car is yours, whether you jumped up and down when you got it or you didn't. Yes, Jesus. I, do, answer the question right now. Do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins? Yes or no? Do you believe he rose from the dead? What do you say? Yes or no? Do you believe he's seated at the right hand of the Father and that he's coming again? Yes or no? If you said yes to all three of those questions, you are saved. Now, you may not feel saved, and the process, uh, you may be new in this thing, you may not know much, but that doesn't mean anything. A baby is born knowing hardly nothing. And yet, and they didn't have to do a lot to be born, they just simply had to go with the process. This is as simple as it is. Salvation is not sanctification. Sanctification has to do with rewards and, and, and works and obedience and blessing and revelation and and following jesus but jesus said to the rich young ruler he said follow me he said follow me and i will perfect that which concerns you that's psalm 138 8 for all you perfectionists out there jesus said psalm 138 8 write it down i will perfect that which concerns you if you're stressing trying to perfect yourself the chances are you're not even doing the, you're not even the one that's trying to perfect you it's a lying spirit it's, a, it's an angel of light that's putting all this pressure on you. He's your spiritual counselor who's raising havoc with your peace, and he's working out of your soul to trouble your spirit. Jesus, the Bible says, if you, he says, if walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We can get to all this 
a lot of this stuff we've already talked about. I've written about it. It's on CDs and DVDs and tapes and manuals. If you just go to liferecovery.com and check it out in the store, you should be able to find something there that will help you get going because we don't have a lot of time. None of us have a lot of time to just debate, debate, debate with the devil. You don't need to debate with the devil. You need to deal with the devil and go on and follow Jesus walking in his spirit. And we'll, we can talk about that a little bit later. But Yeah, the um, you know, Margie mentioned about confusing um, you know, sanctification and salvation. Um, sanctification, it sounds like a, it's a big theological word, but it means just simply we grow, it's growth in our understanding and the implications of what it means once we put our faith in Jesus. And, and, and recognizing uh, that he has given us the ability to live a whole new way of life. It's called walking in the Spirit. Right, right, right. It's, it's through his Holy Spirit. Absolutely. It's like you, you know, being born again is dying. You know, in the, in the natural world, they don't bury somebody unless they're dead. You know, and the same thing. We don't talk, I mean, we say born again, new life, da-da-da. But really the new life requires a death. The death of the old life. You're saying no, that's what baptism is. A lot of people, when they get saved, they want to. They need to. It's it's requ- it's not required, but it's highly recommended. Jesus said, "Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them." What that baptism means is you're symbolically dying. You're going down into that watery grave or lake or wherever you're being baptized, and you're coming up unto newness of life. That death gets you out of this dev- of the devil's kingdom, the god of this world, because when you're dead. The devil, I mean, when you're dead, you don't have to pay taxes anymore. You don't have to show up for work. You don't have to play the game. You're just done. You're just released. And so God wanted to release us from the devil's kingdom. And this born again, accepting Jesus, transfers your citizenship from this world and the God of this world to the kingdom of heaven. Now, let's go back to the salvation, sanctification analogy. Okay, so salvation is like the baby being born. Once the baby is born, now the baby is eligible to grow and develop. That would be sanctification. So you cannot sanctify something that isn't here, that isn't born. So first of all, we get into the kingdom of God through believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose from the dead. Don't look for a feeling, but ask the Lord to begin to give you a hunger for his word because that hunger is there. You just got to ask. When you need something from God, ask. Stand on your head and do penance and you know, crawl on broken glass somewhere and make a pilgrimage. He said, just ask. How nice is that? Because he loves us. He is more uh, concerned and and more tender towards you, more aware of your problems, more merciful, more attentive to your needs than you are. And so this, but sanctification means now begins the process of letting the Holy Spirit come uh, work and lead and, and, and teach us giving us instruction in the Word of God. Yeah, it's, it's letting the Holy Spirit lead us. It's not just sometimes we, can, we, we get sanctification uh, mixed up with following a whole bunch of rules and do's and don'ts and, and, and uh, regulations and so forth. So it's not just like, okay, uh, we are saved by grace through faith and then we're sanctified by our own works, which is really not true. It's allowing the Holy Spirit... What we have to remember is that once you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the life of Jesus Christ comes to live within, within you through the Holy Spirit. So what Paul uh, says to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5.17, uh, 
Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away, uh, and behold, all things become new. So we are in Christ, and Christ is in us. The life of Christ in us is being worked out now through the Holy Spirit. So it's not us doing it. It's us simply allowing the the life of Jesus to uh, flow through us. You know, it's really an awesome mystery, and it's not as hard as most of us make it. Really, it's not. You know, your life after you come to Jesus, your life is not about you. It's not about your sin. It's not about being good. It's not about trying harder. It's not about trying to get people to like you. It's not about trying to quit your, you know, get rid of your faults and, and, and perfect yourself. It's not about you. It is about Jesus Christ. And we are simply like the vessels that carry him around. And, and the problems you're going through are simply his opportunities to come on the scene and do the work that needs to be done. And what, But when we take it all personal, oh, no, it's my problem. Oh, no, what am I going to do? Oh, no, they're, they're, you know, they're mad at me. They're freaking me out. Um, they don't hear me. They're mean to me, blah, blah, blah. Hey, back up a little bit and just say, you know what, God, this is your problem. I am yours. I belong to you. I'm not here to provoke them. I want to do what you want me to do. And I am your workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And that's another great verse for you to write down is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is pretty awesome. It's pretty backwards, though, compared to the way we look at it. We think, i got to be good enough to get to heaven. It's like i gotta, I got to take a bath to take a shower. i got to get cleaned up so I can come to God. But the song says, just as I am. So we're, we're needing to come to Jesus in desperate need uh, of his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness. And then you lose your life. You let him live his life through you. This isn't, I don't remember where it is, but it says, so we live and move. And in him, we live and move and have our being to live as Christ. And this is a whole different way to approach life, death, problems, you know, difficulties, financial issues, the end of the world. You approach it by Jesus Christ, by his spirit, living in you, feeding off of his word. And then God will begin to make you a mighty warrior, bold, invincible, filled with confidence and the authority that he gave us, powers of darkness, because we are members now of the kingdom of God. We've come to invade the earth to do kingdom business, to do business on behalf of the kingdom of God. And it's not about us telling everybody what to do. It's about God doing his will through us. And um, you look like you want to say something. Yes, yes. Huh. I, uh, oh, I, this is so much fun talking about all this. But anyway, um, one of the things that I want to say, too, is the, the great advantage, and we've referred to it a little bit here, is the, the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. As a believer, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. The Spirit of Christ is in you. And the Holy Spirit is going to glorify Jesus. He's going to always give attention to Jesus. And that, that, is, the, that is the big deal in our lives, in our new lives in Christ, is to to pay attention to Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. There's no other name under heaven uh, given among men whereby we must be saved. The Holy Spirit will glorify Jesus. The Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth. It's just like we're discovering a whole, it's a whole new world of, um, I think, was it the show, The Little, Little Mermaid, that 
got out of the ocean and discovered there was a whole new world. And uh, that's what we're finding uh, in Jesus. It's, it's a whole new world once you uh, come to put your faith in him. Yeah, but, you know, I, I totally agree with you. But it's really weird. It's really weird because, you know, if we're just used to being a fish all the time and, and taking care of ourselves, swimming in the ocean, and you think you got it figured out, and then all of a sudden God puts you on dry land. And, you know, we're not, we're not equipped for that. We need to be deprogrammed. We need to be um, uh, born again, brought into a, the, the understanding of spiritual warfare. It's, it's a great, awesome mystery how that the God of heaven and earth, the God who created the stars and the moon, God who's out there, who's so huge and yet so able to dwell within your heart so that you don't have to be lonely, you don't have to be alone. You know, you like yourself better. Really, you do like yourself a whole lot better when you're letting the Holy Spirit live the life of Christ through you. And it doesn't have to become all about confusion and lies. And we can get into all that a little bit, you know, as we go on. And there's a lot, 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 lot more to all of this. But Going back to that idea of where his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, how, you know how silly it would be if, if you know you were the little the little vessel that the potter was creating on the wheel, spinning around and around, and all of a sudden the little vessel stopped the wheel and said, "Wait, wait, I don't like that. You can't do that to me. I want this. I want to be. I want a handle over here. I don't like that spout right there." I mean, you'd say, "What? This is nuts." Well, the potter is the Lord God himself, and you're the vessel. And he is creating you from the beginning. It says from the foundation of the world. It's kind of weird and wild that we're in a time, uh, we're in a, a time tunnel, hallway of time or a dimension of time right now that does not exist in eternity. In eternity, everything is an eternal now. Um, and so there's no beginning and end. But in this little time tunnel, we think that we have to figure it out and call the shots and and take care of ourselves, and, and all of the things that we were learning to do to survive, Jesus said, Jesus didn't say, I've come uh, that you might survive. I've come that you could cope better. He says, I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. And sometimes that life, abundant life, looks like, it, it actually it looks like dying. I mean, you've got a lot of the stories of the, the people who were delivered from the lions and the people who were eaten by the lions. So we have this very interesting walk that becomes incredibly powerful, mysterious, um, eternal. The dimensions expand because we have the Holy Spirit who dwells in us and we have access to all the wisdom uh, and knowledge in Christ Jesus. Now, there are problems connected with this in that many people do not recognize the constant activity of the enemy to thwart the work of God even in the believer. Just because you get saved doesn't mean the devil gives up. He he can't, you know, once you're saved, basically his only option now is to try to make you as ineffective, broken down, convoluted, bound, uh, addicted, whatever as possible so that you do not really be, bear much fruit for God. And that's where we all be talking about these things in the days ahead. Um, but, you know, it's like, okay, so what do you want to do with your life? Do you want to stay where you are? Do you want to keep struggling and, and being ha- unhappy and miserable and confused and afraid? Or do you want to have the perfect love that casts out fear living inside of you? Doesn't mean your life is going to be without persecution. Does not mean it's a bed of roses. That's not what we're saying. Like I said, time is temporary. The, the perfecting of our faith comes through 
uh, persecution trials. And that is one of the main topics we want to bring to you on Rescue Radio is that whole subject of why bad things happen to good people and life's not fair. We're not going to do that right now. But right now, I think we're going to do a little commercial. Um, and after we listen to the commercial, um, we'll tell you a little bit about it. So listen up. What is life? Where does it come from? Where does it end? Is it merely a sequence of random events thrown together? Is it of any significance? Or is it just there, a dash between two dates carved on a cemetery stone? Does it count? Does it last? What's it worth? Does it matter? Is evolution a plausible explanation for the existence of man? Does the Genesis record give us an accurate account of the origin of man? Or are there other valid arguments that can explain the origin of human life? Were we planned from the foundation of the world, or were we an accident, an amoeba emerging out of primordial slime? And what is the ultimate significance of a life born by accident, or of no one being there? If we are nothing but the result of random chance and fortunate mutations to the nth power, who cares? And if we are of no significance in our birth, then life is of little value, and to die is the same as to live. What is life? That is a, a DVD um, that we made a couple of years back. What is life? And if you want to check out the, the visuals, you can actually see the, that trailer on YouTube at liferecovery.com. What is life also? There's a manual that goes with it. With it. And, um, you know, this is a big question. There are two issues mainly that Satan has attacked. One is the identity of man, and the, the other is the identity of God. Um, so before we get into that, I want, you know, we'd like to spend a little bit of time talking about man and the identity of man. I'm going to give you that phone number again. Come on, you guys, if you can call in. Uh, the number is 347-215-8051. 347-215-8051. Hey, help us test out the equipment. Give Des a run for her money. Make a call and see if she can connect us. It's been crazy trying to get this radio stuff going. I mean, it's like... We've had to pray things off and call people to help us pray. And, and if you're hearing us clearly, that's a blessing because uh, you should have heard what we were listening to this afternoon. It was, oh, my goodness, it sounded like aliens invading from somewhere, and we weren't quite sure what was going to happen. But Des is pretty good at this. By the way, Desiree is our producer, and she is the genius behind all the wires. I tell you, I think if it wouldn't be for her, we would not be here doing this. That is for sure. As a matter of fact, she was the one who helped. I got to tell you a little bit of the behind the scenes on that story. It's a movie, actually. It's a, it's it's an edu drama, educational drama, or a docu drama. It's not like any. It's not like a documentary, where you know they kind of throw a lot of things at you and kind of make your own. You can make your own decisions, like you look at the History Channel. We're basically out there to brainwash you. Okay, so we want to brainwash you with the truth. Isn't that sad that we have to actually brainwash people with the truth? But you know, there's been such an attack against human beings and making us think we come from monkeys and the young people these days, they don't know they, where they came from, evolution, random chance. I keep saying, you know, honey, you've got to have more faith to believe in evolution that you could come from the random chances of a billion, zillion times a zillion, billion to the fourth zillion, billion power 
to get everything lined up so that it actually works. You know, we're not just talking about one cell, one amoeba. We're talking about that cell and amoeba having to live in a certain swamp and that swamp with certain climate conditions and, and surrounded by crocodiles and, 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 and atmospheric pressures and clouds and, and good grief. I mean, what are the chances that an eyeball would fall into place? I got a good one for people if they think the evolution's so good. Here's the deal. Okay, you go ahead, take apart your typewriter, your computer, whatever you want to take apart, throw it in your washing machine and see how long you have to wash that load of parts in order to get that typewriter to come back into its full, proper functioning position. And by the way, you didn't have to start with nothing. You got to start with a typewriter. So out of nothing, God created everything because God is God. So I thought we would have to address this issue of evolution because it's just annoying to me how that Satan wants to make us think we're accidents and monkeys. I mean, it's like, okay, um, I just couldn't handle it anymore. So I had to do something about it. So what we did is we created this video, and it's about 55 minutes long. And, you know, I mean, we never made a video before. Well, I actually did make one before that. It was called uh, Who is the Devil? That was pretty interesting, too. You guys, there's a lot of stuff you could just check out and, and get. You don't you have to. It doesn't take you 45 years to learn all this stuff. I mean, it's not that. It's not rocket science. And you already know it anyway in your spirit. So, so we got a young man to be our actor. And it's a silent film, if you will. We've got scientists who are speaking, but our actors, our main actors, are not saying a word. They're just going through the life, their emotions, their losses, their grief, their, you know, disputes in their head without saying a word. And we're taking you to the bottom, to the, to the, to the, to the belt of Orion, if you will. That's where we end up with this whole deal. And I won't tell you all about, about that, but amazing stuff. And the film, the footage, we had to go film it on the trestle. And uh, there, there's a, there was a trestle not far from here, maybe about 100 miles from here. Um, and it was a, a favorite suicide spot. It was, had been an old train trestle. And a lot of kids would go there, drink, party, do a lot of graffiti on the walls. And then they'd kill themselves. And this is not fun. Because when you get to that place of desperation, you don't have anybody to talk to, then the devil's he's, he's finished his work. I'm not saying that people who kill themselves all go to hell. not saying that. But I'm saying their life surely was a, a, a sad, very, very sad, sorry, waste, loss, very sad. And so we wanted to get this out for the kids. And so it's, um, it's, it's really kind of geared for your homeschoolers or your kids who need to give an answer to um, people who believe God is dead, God doesn't care, God isn't there, you're a monkey. Honey, you got anything you want to say about that? No, I mean, it, it's uh, really, it, it's a unique format, but it, it's just very, um, very, very powerful in uh, communicating uh, all these issues, dealing with uh, the really the uh, absurdity of evolution without saying evolution is totally absurd uh, within so many words. But it, it just shows about what, you know, it's kind of an age-old age question you know what is life, and it's it's approached from a, a biblical point of view without being preachy, and just takes a look at uh, what's going on with the uh, human race, and it's just it's just a lot of uh, you know historical um, you know views that people have, and it's brought right down to uh, where we are in our lives right now. So, yeah, I remember one of the pieces in there was. Um yeah, trying to believe that we all exist without a, a maker is like trying to believe that a, that the book 
just came into being without a, an author or writer, or that the Sistine Chapel just all is the result of years of erosion and, and, and um, you know, happenstance that there was no Michelangelo. And, of course, we, we see the silliness of that, but somehow we, we go beyond the absurdity, I mean, the obvious of that, to go to the absurdity that there is no God. Now, going back to the identity of man, we really, this is one thing you need to get because there's two main attacks upon the identity of men. One came through that, that theory of evolution, which, by the way, is a theory which the more we go on, the more it's disproven. I mean, by you just with the greater powerful, more powerful microscopes, telescopes, uh, observations, DNA, what are the chances that we would have just evolved? There are none. Why does the devil want us to think we just are a blob and a glob and we just sort of happen to be here? Because he has to get rid of us. He doesn't want us to know that in Genesis 1, chapter um, 1, verse 26-7, God said, let us make man in our image. Us is a plural uh, form of God there, and I believe it refers to the Trinity. And at that point in time, Jesus existed as the Word of God. There was the, the Word, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. So they made man in their image. And this is critical because if you know you're, you're made in the image of God, then you won't fall for the next lie. The next lie comes through uh, a, a, late, a more recent, no, maybe it was a previous lie uh, that was purported to be that man is depraved, that man um, was, was created depraved uh, and has no ability to recognize or respond to God. And so the problem with that, that's a theology. That is not a scripture. We have theory, we have theology, and then we have truth. Did you want to say something? Yeah, I wanted to, to say that. Now, here, let's um, look at that for a little bit. The, the theology has come just because of man's uh, the sinfulness and the extent of the sinfulness of mankind. The conclusion has come that man, and, and, and many you know theologians uh, say that man is totally depraved. And so, so then, okay, we're created in the image of God, yet we have become totally depraved. And so, why don't you just pick it up from there? Oh yeah, I this this one just gets my goat. I just you know just revs my engine so bad. Okay, so here's the deal. Think about it, people. Get a little logic going on here, and just think about it. If we're made in the image of God, God would have to be depraved for us to be depraved. Okay, that's simple. All right, God made us. God is love. That's what the Bible says. God loves. What does he love? Justice, truth, mercy, righteousness, peace, goodness, holiness. What does God hate? He hates sin and he hates, what do you hate? The same two things. You hate sin. You hate feeling bad and guilty. And you hate it when things aren't fair. Okay. So we're made to resonate with God, recognize God. And this is our divine nature. Now, some people say, oh, and they, so te- they, they argue, well, we're made in the image of Adam. Well, guess what? Um, I am made in the image of God, and God gave Adam and Eve the right to uh, put a little stamp on us that made us look like them. So you look like your mom or your dad, but you're also still made in the image of God, okay? And if you'd still think you're just made in the image of Adam, a little bit later when it says, uh, I can find it for you a little later, but it's in Genesis, I think, chapter 5 or 9 at the beginning, where it talks about the generation, the genealogy of Adam. It says, Adam uh, created in the image of God, and then it goes on to say that, um, we are creating an image of, of God. But 
back to the story. Okay, so we're made in the image of God. Now, what about all this depravity? What about, um, let's see, I think Jerry just found it. Let's see. Okay, there we go. At, at Genesis chapter 5, which reiterates what God says in Genesis 1, 26 and 76, this is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them, male and female, and blessed them and called them mankind in the name, in the day they were created. So God did not just create Adam in his image and then after he fell, then, then who knows what he was. God continued to create us in his image. We are made as, in the image of God. Okay, that means we carry uh, the ability within us to recognize the truth, to resonate with God, to love what he loves and hate what he hates. And you say, well, then why is man so bad? Well, because many religious groups don't want to deal with the devil. They want to deny that there's evil. They don't want to talk about the devil. So they have this equation, which is, just includes God and me. God plus me equals all the trouble I see out there. So all the depravity has to be explained by either God being bad or us being bad. So they had to explain it because they wouldn't explain it that there's a tempter out there who's tempting everybody with lies to do bad things. So they, they called it, I, don't get mad at me now, please check it out. You go to a church that teaches this, and there's a couple of names for it. You know, um, I, do I dare say what do I dare, do I dare say what this is called? Why not? Okay. Say it. All right, I'll say it. All right. You're all listening now. You want to know the next word I'm going to say? A lot of Calvinists teach this, and they, de- they teach this, and, and I don't pre- pre- pretend to be an expert on Calvinism, but they, pretend, they say that, um, that we were so depraved, so lost, so beyond anything. We're just depraved. We're so unable to um, be touched with the revelation of God that God himself had to come down and save us. Okay, so he did. And, and, there's, and, and so we're all, though certain ones then are predestined, obviously, to be saved, and certain are not, and that comes according to what God chooses. But then the problem becomes, well, if God is saving some and not everybody, then God is depraved because he's making some people, actually making them, knowing ahead of time that they're going to go to hell. So this makes God depraved in my book. Um, and I don't believe that's what God does. God says he's not willing that any should perish. He said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. And if you want to get into the predestination thing a little bit, go to Romans chapter 8. And I'm going to give you just a little quick one on that because that's not where we're actually going. But I just want you to, because you better... You know, you, if, you're, if we're stirring you up to have a question, that's what we're meaning to do. We're actually we're doing our job then. He says in Romans 8, he says, um, uh, verse 29, all right. For whom he foreknew, that would be God, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Okay, so who did God foreknow? Did he know about everybody? Well, sure he did. So he predestined all of those he foreknew to be conformed to the image of his son. Okay. Moreover, whom he predestined, who did he predestine? Then everybody, because he knew everybody. He, them he also called. So who did he call? Everybody he knew about. Who did he know about? Everybody. The, he, he also called. Whom he called, these he, notice this part. He calls. Now, in that verb or in that action, there is, has to be a response to the call. The ones, if you're invited to a wedding 
Everybody gets invited to the wedding, the marriage supper, the lamb. Everybody gets it. But if you don't respond to the invitation, nobody's going to force you to go to the wedding. Okay? So there's where we start to see the breakup, where we are responding to the call, and that call comes through salvation, responding to Jesus Christ. Whom he called these, he also, what? Justified. That's talking about the blood of Jesus. Him dying on the cross, paying the price for your sins. You are made righteous, not by good works, but by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what satisfied the law. That's what satisfied the demands of the law. And death was the blood of Jesus, his death. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. So all of those who call, respond to the call, can be justified and glorified. Okay, so going back to predestination. So if God predestines certain people to be saved and certain people he creates to be lost, then God is lying to himself and going contrary to his word and saying, you know, if he's saying I'm not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to eternal life, and he's made everybody to be conformed with the image of his son, and then he goes against himself and creates people to go to hell, then God is insane and also depraved. I mean, I wouldn't even do that. I wouldn't even, you know, make people to go to hell. And I'm not even God. I'm not even that good. So, but so the problem is that in this theory or theology, and there are many other theologies that are probably just as bad, but um, in the theology, it takes, it, it, it throws a negative light on the character of God. It also confuses us. And the reason, the simple reason that this gets all screwed up is because they will not put the devil in the equation. In Romans chapter 6 and 7, Paul doesn't call us depraved. He calls us enslaved. Jesus didn't call us depraved. He called us lost. Lost is what we are. We're lost, and he says he's come to seek and save that which was lost. Okay, so enslaved is different than depraved. If you're enslaved, you may be kidnapped, you may be, you know, captured behind enemy lines, um, held hostage. Um, That doesn't mean you're bad. That just means you're captured, and that means you need to be rescued. But if you can understand that the devil is out there lying to people, getting in their minds, getting in their bodies, getting in their hearts, lying, tempting them, controlling them, leading them to make choices that are vile, when you see these vile things being done out there, you, it, it, it's, it's a demon. It's demonic. It's devilish. It's, it's the enemy acting out through a human being. And yes, you know, say, well, they have a choice. They have responsibility, blah, 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 blah. Well, as long as you believe the lie, you're going to be servant to the lie. So what's the responsibility? It might be ours to tell them the truth. And by the, word, by the way, that word responsibility is not in the Bible either. There's a lot of important words we think of them as important that are missing from the Bible. But I'm saying the Bible's right. So if God didn't write the word responsibility, and by the way, when you know Paul was saying, I'm doing the things I don't want to do, God didn't say, stop, Paul, you need to take responsibility for that. You need to try harder. You need to get some self-control going on here. No, he didn't say that. He didn't say, erase that. God does not talk about responsibility. That's a human word created by the devil to make, to hook you on a lot of guilt. And once he gets you in guilt, he can drive you to get all kinds of punishment and judgment that he can put on you. But the word God uses is faithful. Follow me. Jesus says, follow me. He didn't say be good. He didn't say try harder. By the way, you already know all this stuff because if I ask you, okay, how do we get to heaven? By somebody 
having to die on the cross or some or, or by being good, what would you say? Well, you already know the answer. See, well, how do you know it? Because you're made in the image of God to know it already. Guess what? You already know all the stuff we're telling you. You just haven't thought about it like this yet. But your spirit is saying, Ooh, this, this feels like a nice cold drink of water. It's going right in. It fits. So, you know, we're, we're created in the likeness and image of God. But then Satan is at work trying to kind of recreate mankind. I mean, he can't create anything. In his image. He's trying to make us after his image. That's his goal. Yeah, exactly. You know, in the beginning, we should, we should have paid a little more attention when Satan said, well, actually, he says, I will be like the Most High God. I will ascend to the size of the north. I, you know, sit in the seat of the Most High, blah, blah, blah. I, I, I. So he wants to be God. Don't kid yourself. He's never let go of that goal. And what does God do? God saves. God answers prayer. God heals. God wants worship. You know, um, God is, protects and helps. Satan wants to do the same thing. He wants to be your God, your Savior, the solver of your problems, your solution. He wants to be your comfort. He wants to be your hope. He wants your prayers. He wants your worship. And, that's, and he wants to sit in the temple uh, as God. You know, that temple they're going to build pretty quick now, you know. Well, guess who's going to sit there? Because that temple is being built to fulfill the word of God. So Satan is a liar. Jesus said Satan is a liar and the father of lies. So really his methods of enslavement is to getting us is to get us to believe his lies. And so it is vital to be able to discern between truth and error, between truth and lies. So how do we do that? Uh, Margie, why don't you address that in in just a real practical level, day by day, how do we discern, uh, let's say someone that is really following Christ, has come to know Jesus, saved, born again, uh, wanting to follow Jesus, but the lies of the enemy are so subtle and so uh, entwined in, in our whole world system and so forth, and even in, in, in many churches, how does a believer sort out the truth from the lies? Well, first of all, how come you're giving me all the questions? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's the basic equation. If truth equals freedom, opposite of truth is lies, lies equal bondage. Bondage equals lies, because in the math equation, you can, le- you can read that equal sign both ways. So if you're in bondage to something, a bad habit, fear, uh, anger, whatever, you're in bondage. Maybe it's you can't ever get an apartment. I mean, you can't pay your rent. Maybe it's you're always sick. Maybe you always lose your job. Maybe you never get a promotion. Maybe you're always being falsely accused. Whatever the pattern, whatever the bondage, it's because of lies. Bottom line, I can't tell you how many times I mean, I've been doing counseling since I, oh man, since 97, probably 86, depending on when you start the count. But anyway, uh, when I saw that verse, I said, you know what, all these people then, they must be believing lies because they're coming in here with depression and anxiety and addictions and fear and, you know, problems and all kinds of stuff. So I said, Lord, what's the lie? What's the lie? Show me what the lie is. So we go back and, so first of all, you'll know you're believing lies by the fruit. Again, going back to the fruit. If there's a bondage there, there's a lie. So the next question becomes, well, what is the lie? When did I start to believe it? And how did it get there? Et cetera, et cetera. Well, that, those are many. That can take another two or three hours. That could probably take two or three days to talk about. But what we want to do is understand that if you are in a place 
where you're feeling fearful, anxious, um, doubtful, confused, you're believing lies. And how do those lies get there? Well, they got there in the beginning. Can I take a minute to go back to made in the image of God? Okay, we're made in the image of God, like I said, to love what he loves and hate what he hates. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you the story of the snake pit, okay? All right, so we're made, conceived, born, brought, put, put into our mother's womb. Okay, and even in the womb, we've already entered into the domain of the God of this world, the prince of power of the air, the God of this world. So immediately as we enter into Earth's orbit, the enemy begins to psychologically work to obscure our true identity and, and, and create in us a human nature. We have the divine nature. The divine nature is obscured. And even in the womb, and as we're born and thrown into the snake pit of life, life's experiences, the people around us, the situations, the agreements they make, the way they run their lives, all this stuff, the enemy uses to reprogram us to believe that we are not what God says we are, but we are what we do. So if the devil can get you to believe that one basic thing, you agree with that, I am what I do, I teach, therefore I am a teacher, I I go to school, therefore I am a student, I, I'm scared, therefore I am afraid, I'm depressed, therefore I am depressed, I drink too much, therefore I am an addict or an alcoholic. You, you begin to agree with your experiences. I am what I do. So all the devil has to do is get us to believe we are what we do, what we think, what we feel, what other people say about us, what happens to us. We embrace the I am's and begin to rewrite our, our, our programming. The divine programming is, is obscured and we're being reprogrammed with the human nature to believe I am what I do. Now, at the top of that human nature list is I am a sinner because, of course, the devil likes to point out all of our faults immediately because he hates us so much and he wants to discourage us and make us think God's mad at us and we have no hope and, and we just buy into that. We go with that and he beats you up more and more and more. And it's just ridiculously difficult when you listen to the devil. Anyway, so, so now I've got this human nature and I'm built by God to not like any of the stuff that I now am. I'm a sinner, I'm, I'm not good enough, I'm not, not worthy, uh, I'm rejected, I'm too fat, I don't like my front teeth, uh, whatever, you put it on the list, and now the devil says, and look at you, do you like all that stuff? And you say, well, no. Of course you say no, because you don't like it, because you're built by God to not like it. And so the devil says, well, here's what you've got to do, you've got to work, you've got to get that fixed, you've got to go, you've got to go to school, you've got to prove yourself, you've got to take responsibility, you've got to... Uh, you know, prove you're worthy of love. You've got to, you know, work, 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 work. And so we do it. We work. We workation. But here's the devil's way to look at life. You've got to do something to have something, to be something. You've got to do something. Work, go to school, get an education. I'm not saying any of that stuff is particularly bad as the Spirit of God leads you, but you're not doing it for the right reasons, and you're going to wear out, and it's not going to work. So you get an education, so you can get a new job, better job, good paying job, so you can buy a new house, so you can be successful. Jesus says, oh, backwards people, backwards. He says, he says it's out of being, not doing, it's out of being and abiding comes the doing. Jesus is the best illustration of the gospel of grace is the, is the vine and the branch, John 15. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branch. Now, if you want to do this little piece, put your, little, your one hand as a branch into your other. 
take your left hand, make that be your 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 branch, your 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 stem, and put your other hand in it, hook to it, and it's like a branch. Now you got a tree. Okay, so you're the little branch abiding in Christ. What? How can the branch not be what the vine is? Because you're getting your life source and strength through Jesus Christ, His grace, His Spirit, His strength, His direction, His everything. So. And as you abide in him and stay connected in that relationship with him, out of that relationship flow, uh, come forth the fruits of righteousness, peace, and joy. Now, how hard is that? Do you see those little apple trees out there stressing to get an apple? They just be and out of their being and abiding in the sun, the soil, comes the apple, you know? And so, but the devil has us all doing, doing, doing. When Jesus said, it's done, the devil says, nope, got to do some more. Jesus says, it's finished. The gospel of Jesus Christ is done, and the devil's gospel is do more. Do more, do more, do more. Now, that doesn't mean that there isn't a whole lot of stuff left to do. I mean, the works come out of the relationship. They don't. It's like the cart and the horse. You don't put the cart in front of the horse. That would be like putting the works in front of the grace. But if you put the horse in front of the cart, it's going to go a lot easier. So if you, out of your relationship with Jesus, you rest, you abide, there's peace, and God just brings forth the fruits of his goodness, his revelation to you. Life works easier by resting. When the disciples came to Jesus and they said, well, what is the work that we should do to work the works of God? And Jesus said, labor the rest. And believe you me, that takes a little work to enter into rest because the devil's always trying to tell you it's not enough, you've got to do more. Does that make sense? Yes, and... and you know, the rest uh, Jesus is talking about is not, and it's spoken of in the book of Hebrews, it's not becoming lazy. We think of resting as, oh, I just kind of hang out and, you know, just I'm just lazy, lazy, lazy. But, you know, the things that God gives you to do, uh, sharing the gospel, helping other people, that sort of thing, you do it not out of human energy. You do it out of the energy of the Holy Spirit. And there's a peace that goes with it. There's not a... Not you know, not just being driven. There is a, there is a peace of God that you have in your heart, even though you're very very busy. Sometimes sometimes your life gets very very intense with activity and so forth. But in the midst of that, there's there's the peace of God, and um, and and also too, um, you know, John chapter ten, and this is a, a whole other area that we we can be talking about too. But John uh, said there that. Uh, Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. So if you are uh, one of the Lord's sheep, um, you you will know his voice. Um, I, I just, can I tell a story? Sure. I want to tell a little story. There's a story told, and a true story, several uh, years ago about there's three shepherds that came to this uh, watering place over in the Middle East. And the guy was watching all this, and there were, Three different shepherds, three different flocks. They came all together in the watering place, all mixed up. They were all mixed up. I mean, it's just like, and the guy that was watching this, he says, how in the world are those sheep ever going to get sorted out again? Because they were all commingled. Well, what happened is when they were done watering, one shepherd went on one little hill and another shepherd went to the other hill and the other shepherd went to another spot and they just called, called to the sheep. And the ones that were of that flock knew the voice of the shepherd, and they came. And so it's the same thing with us. We know the voice of the shepherd, and uh, we knew it through the Holy Spirit, and we know it through the study of the Word of God. And it's, it's kind of like, too, another illustration that you may have heard before, is that 
people that detect uh, counterfeit money, they don't study counterfeit money. They study real money. And so when they know, they know the real so well that the counterfeit will just show up very easily. And so and Jesus said in John 17, uh, he, as he prayed for, for his disciples then, and it really included us in that prayer, that um, he said, sanctify them or set them apart through your truth. Your word is truth. So the truth is the instruction of the truth. Really, the scripture is really God's love letter to us and God's letter of instruction and revelation of, of this new life that we have that's so wonderful and, and so beautiful. And so as we abide in Christ, we abide in his word, and then the word of God that uh, you know helps us that we be able to discern more and more easily the lies of the enemy that uh, appear before us. Hey, yeah, and you know, the thing is, um, a lot of us get in trouble a lot, you know, with that thing of recognizing the Spirit of God. We'll be talking about that a little later, how the enemy comes to impersonate God to us and as comes as a counterfeit Holy Spirit, Antichrist. We'll do that some other night. Um, but for right now, a couple of things. Number one, I'm going to give you our phone number again. You're so quiet out there. It's scary. I think you're listening, but it's uh, 347 215-8051 if you have a question. By the way, you know what? God gets in trouble a lot, too. I mean, don't feel bad if you think you're getting in trouble all the time. God doesn't do anything bad, but he's accused of a lot of things, and we're going to listen to this next little uh, commercial and, and explain what's happening here. The heavens shook. Satan fell. The war in heaven was ended, but the war on earth had just begun. Dare you to let me test them? Would you test them to find fault with me? Or let them choose for themselves whom they will serve. Perfect disguise. So subtle and yet alluring. <laughs> you will be more like him. That is why he has marked it as separate. More like him. Here. Delicious. Hi. Uh, you see? Nothing to fear. But I am afraid of one thing. Oh, what is it, my darling? What about Adam? Adam, where are you? Adam. You lied to us. It's time you all suffer like he made me suffer. Those two are guilty and they will pay. Unless one can be found who is willing to pay the penalty for them. I demand my rights to a fair trial to determine my rights. You shall have your trial in the very hearts and souls of those you so freely seek to destroy. Well, then let them judge this matter. Let the accused become the judge, and the judge become the accused. This is God on trial. You can. This is an audio drama that God 
opened himself up to rejection and ridicule uh, by allowing us to judge whether or not his true his love for us was genuine and true. Let God become the accused and the accused become the judge. And in this audio drama, we become the judges. And actually, in a lot of ways, we are just judging whether the Son of God has a right to be the Savior of the world or if we're going to seek to save ourselves through the lies of Satan, God's enemy. Um, so when you go through a trial and trouble, realize that you are not alone in your trial. The Lord God is afflicted with us and goes with us uh, in our afflictions, in our trials, in our problems, because he is the one. If we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, then the challenge is between is Satan challenging God and God's workmanship in us that it will not stand the test. Satan believes that he can create such a, a circumstance for us that we will denounce, deny God um, and reject his love. So this is really why we're here, uh, is to, it's to partner with God to be strong and, and saved and, and strengthened and sustained by him and to allow God to prevail, demonstrating his, his uh, ability to save and keep us and to validate and vindicate not only us but himself as well. That's called God on Trial. And just a little behind the scenes on that, we're half done with the production. The production is uh, very, this, these were just tiny little excerpts. Each uh, episode is 30 minutes long. Each episode is um, actually kind of written from the devil's point of view as the anti-hero. Um, and what he's doing is he's challenging God's right to rule the world. And God gives him the right to challenge him. And so Satan um, convenes the court of heaven to bring charges against God, including charges like uh, criminal neglect of the universe, abuse of use of power, conflicts of interest, insanity. And, and from that, he's pulling, Satan pulls witnesses to testify, Old, Old Testament witnesses to testify to God's inability, instability, mental instability, uh, anything he can to get people to um, reject God. But of course, then we always have the cross-examination with justice presenting God's side of the matter. And as we work through the list of uh, witnesses, some of them are hostile to God, and then we come in the end with some of them that are, are uh, for God, uh, Moses and Abraham. We really get to see uh, and hear the drama of, of the emotion, the impact of living real lives in the midst of severe trials. And so, if you're interested in getting your um, half-finished copy, don't don't let that scare you. Just help us buy your uh, twelve. There's twelve finished episodes. There's a total of twenty-four. Not only does it tell us about the war uh, and the trial in heaven, it also tells at the same time in a sub-story um, Jesus Christ on earth and his interaction with the demonic world, the demons, the the you know the healings and the casting out demons and the going to the cross. It's incredible, and the quality is extremely good. Um, and so you can find that at the store, uh, liferecovery.com. If you don't know what else to do, just go to liferecovery.com and poke around, and you'll find stuff. There's a store with all kinds of stuff for, um, to help you uh, for sale. And, and <laughs> does it poking fingers at me. But anyway, so we can, we can help you, um, and you can help us. We do would love to have you help us finish this series before Jesus gets back. It makes an awesome tool for evangelizing, educating, and inspiring people. Um, and it's very compelling. 
the enemy is really, as you can hear, these are professional actors, but the enemy is um, cunning, beyond cunning, and um, the arguments are uh, anything, almost everything that's ever been said against God comes up in the in the document in the in the drama. So that's liferecovery.com. Now, one more time, um, let's kind of go with the the kind of the wrap up. I haven't. Go ahead. What do you want to say? Oh well, uh, um, that's pretty a pretty long subject. Yeah, it is. You don't know what we're talking about. We're reading each other's notes. Well, we could we could can we talk about it just for a little bit? Oh sure. Okay, we're talking about grace and uh, you know the being saved uh, and by you know grace through faith and so forth. Uh, maybe we could just talk. I mean, this is something we could go on about for for a long time for eternity. I think eternity will be the story of God's amazing grace. And most of us have heard the, the, um, um, the song for a long time, very familiar old uh, song, amazing grace, how sweet the sound and so forth. So let's, let's touch on a little bit about grace. And uh, I think you have a funny subtitle there. It says, how does grace work? Well, you know, works and grace are kind of at, Works and grace are kind of at odds with each other in a way. Um, but it is through grace that we do works, and the fruit of, of um, grace is the work God. But, you know, i got to go back to a very familiar um, question. Paul brought in, um, he really was the spearhead uh, that God used to, to turn the tide on law and grace. We talked about that in the first part of the program. He was the one God used. I mean, Jesus disputed constantly with the Pharisees. They were always trying to nitpick with him. And he was trying to point out to them how the law was kind of, you know, detrimental in that, for example, um, he says, you know, he says, you criticize me for healing someone on the Sabbath, which, of course, was breaking the law, supposedly, according to them anyway. But he says, but you will pull out your oxen on the Sabbath. You'll water your sheep on the Sabbath. You'll circumcise someone on the Sabbath, and you, you know, do the sacrifices in the temple on the Sabbath, and that's all work, and nobody says anything about it. He says, you know, you're 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 more interested in pulling your donkey out of the pit because it makes you money, basically, than this woman who's been 18 years bowed with this infirmity. She ought not this daughter of Abraham, being bound low these 18 years, be loosed from this infirmity on the Sabbath? He said, and so. As you can see, when you go, carry the law to its extreme, it becomes ridiculous because it prevents you from doing the good things that the law is saying you should be doing. So it becomes a, a conundrum. Well, anyway, when Paul was, you know, they were cry, trying to decide whether we should just take the gospel to the Jews, should we open it up to the Gentiles? And I think everything kind of broke loose when Peter got that vision. He was hungry one day, and of all things, he had this sheet lowered to him as he was waiting for lunch to be prepared. And he saw these unclean animals in the sheet. And, of course, there were certain things, very strict orders in the Old Testament, things they should not eat. But he was told to kill and eat. And this thing happened to him three times. So, you know, obviously God was trying to say to Peter, things are changing here. Um, it's okay to eat whatever, you know, was on that sheet that he wouldn't have eaten before that wasn't kosher. So God was making Peter see that there's a new dispensation, new things going on here. But Peter was still a little reluctant, so Paul, you know, braved the, the, the crowds and took on the challenge and went to the Gentiles. And, of course, that got him in lots of trouble. 
with the Jews who were thinking this is just for the circumcised. And they still wanted to keep adding circumcision and other works, keeping the law to grace. Now, that became the real problem. But so Paul says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, absolutely not. So what he was, why he said that, he was responding to their argument that was saying, don't talk to us about grace. If you talk to us about grace, everybody is going to lose all their um, their their uh, their moral uh, behavior, and they're going to go off and sin like crazy. And so we have to keep these restrictions. We have to keep the law. We have to keep the pen. We have to make sure people do it the way they're supposed to. Paul says, absolutely not. He says, don't you understand that when you understand grace, you will not want to sin? You will not want to see how close to the edge of the cliff you can walk and run and live and play because you really don't want to die by falling over the cliff. You won't even want to do that. And so, but to this very day, this is still the debate, the problem. Um, what is grace and what grace is not? Um, you know, grace is a gift. And, and you want to take it from this? Yeah, well, grace is, is, it includes God's gift of salvation, God's gift of eternal life. Grace is, is favor. I, I call it extreme favor that God has given to us. Uh, and it's not because we're so wonderful that we get the favor. It's just because we're so needy and we're so lost that we get the, the favor from God. Because his, his, his desire is, you see, salvation and grace is from the heart of God. It's because of God's goodness and God's love that reaches to us to bring out of, us out of that lost condition into a place of new life, for then he changes our desires. So we, part of grace is that we have a whole new set of desires. So we have the desire. Someone said that grace is the imparted desire and ability to please God. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of people, they, they really stumble at this thing. They think, I don't deserve grace. I've heard it said... Um, you know, grace is, like you said, Jerry, the God's eternal favor to the undeserving. And I agree with the first part of that statement, but not the last part of that statement, because we don't deserve God's grace. We don't not deserve God's grace. It's not about us. It's about God. God is giving this grace not to the undeserving, but to the lost. But many of us feel somehow we still have to earn salvation. We have to earn grace. We have to earn a healing. We have to be good. And, and and yet it is the Holy Spirit who has been sent to make us, to lead us into the righteousness of Christ and into the goodness of Christ. And and as you follow him, grace is strength. Um, grace is the Holy Spirit. See, the thing is we try to take on this matter of walking in righteousness ourselves, and we can't do it because we're, uh, we are, we've got, we're programmed in our souls to believe lies and we're programmed in our spirit to walk with God. So we have the conflict going on even after we're saved. And Paul says in Romans 7 and 8, he says, there's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who what? Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And so what you see happening is this constant debate that goes on between our flesh, which is our soul, programmed through the pit with the things we've been told. I am stupid. I'm no good. I'm never going to make it. I'm alone. I'm up, it's up to me. I've got to take care of myself. And a million other little lies and we still seem to use that old operating software to make a lot of our everyday decisions. When God says, no, that's, just don't use it. It's corrupted. It's full of viruses and trojans. You just need to switch over and walk in the spirit. So when we're talking about grace, we're talking about abiding. We're talking about a new way. It's not about 
um, deserving or not deserving grace. It's about needing grace. When I was when I was kind of in the process of coming to the revelation of Jesus Christ, I I've been a pretty good person, and I know some people are pretty bad. And in some ways, if you're really bad and out there, it's easier because then you know you're not good and you're not being tempted to think you're going to get in by your goodness. But I thought I could get into heaven by my goodness. It took a while for me to realize that you know what. There's none righteous, and and I need that grace as much as the the down and out person, whoever. Um, and so, but grace is the beginning point. Grace is the thing that carries us through grace in our lives and hearts. And so we need to talk about it. It's not about law anymore. If if you mix law and grace in Romans 11, it mm-hmm. becomes a nasty mess. God is not okay with it. And there's a fear that's been spread. Uh well, throughout the church world in many ways, that if we don't have those rules, all these rules, 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 people will just go and sin, sin, sin. Um, but it's really not the case because uh, one uh, one of the things is that God uh, changes our desires. I heard a, an evangelist say years ago, he says, you know what, since I've given my heart to Jesus, I can do all the drugs I want, I can run around with all the women I want to, I can I can swear all I want to, but you know what? He said, I don't want to. He cha- God changes our whole desires. And, and uh, I want to share just one more little story for me uh, about a guy uh, told a story about when he first got his driver's license. You know, he went through his permit tests and, you know, you know studied and all that stuff. And finally, the time came where he did get his license and his dad, for the first time ever, you know, his dad had been working with him, you know, while he was learning how to drive. But he got his license and, and threw him the keys and said, go ahead, you know, go ahead and take the car for two hours. And he, he's, he thought, he says, oh, he says, I got in the car. And he says, for a while I thought, man, this thing will go 100 miles an hour. I can go 100 miles an hour. I can run down to the, to the beach and, and, and party and be back in two hours, uh, in less than two hours. And I could just, you know, I could just lay rubber at all the intersections and all that sort of thing. And those thoughts went through his mind. But he ended up realizing, he said, you know, because of my relationship with my dad, my dad is trusting me with this car, this very expensive car. So he drove, he drove around, drove the speed limit, and came back, you know, in less than two hours. And that is really, in a sense, a little bit of a picture of, of, of how grace works in us. That he had, because of that relationship and respect for his father and his father trusting him and giving him that opportunity, he did not want to abuse that in the least. So that's um, a little a little picture of uh, of God's grace. Yeah, you know, um, grace is, is sweet. Oh, I, there's just no comprehending of what God can do with us as we yield ourselves to him. And so when you see the battle that's gone on from the beginning over the law and grace, going back to Romans 11 for a minute, he says, um, Paul is talking about the salvation of the Jews, and he said, there was a remnant that received grace. He said, the rest were hardened. He said um, that, that there was, um, he said, Either either it's works or it's grace. Work is not work. 
works is works and grace is grace, and you can't mix them. If you mix the two, if you mix the two of them, you're going to have God is going to allow a spur then becomes uh, blinded eyes. We can't see, we can't hear, we don't know, can't think. Our table becomes a snare to us. Our back becomes bowed down, and this is exactly the fruit that we see in the church today: mm-hmm. mixing of the law of law and grace. So yeah, so there's um, it seems to me that we have a question. Someone's called in with a question. Yay! Okay, so what is it? Can we? All right. Okay, Kathy has a question. All right. Hi. Go. Hello, um, Margie and Jerry. I have this question about. Um, I have many people ask me this all the time, and it is about having relationships and you walk in God's grace, but then also walking in boundaries with people. And how do you do grace and and I mean I know and I know it's you know walking in love with people, but with walking it out in Tough love and codependent yeah. relationships, stuff like Okay, yeah. well, first of all, I can answer this one because it's one of my favorite subjects, honey. <laughs> Boundaries. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> I personally, I know you do. I personally, you know, there is no such thing in the Bible as a boundary. I mean, it, it, we're, we're talking, you know, that word boundary, again, is a human word. And when mm-hmm. you look at a boundary, love has no boundary. Love doesn't say... I'm going to love you to this point, and then beyond that, you're on your own. If you cross that boundary, you're out of here. Um, I'm going to have nothing more to do with you. The question is not a question of boundaries. It is a question of this. For example, the Bible says, in some places it says, turn the other cheek, go the second mile. Obviously, that could look a little enabling and codependent from time to time. And the Bible also says, if they refuse your, you know, the truth, you know, you can go, you can shake the dust off your feet, you can, and and if they reject you, you don't have to eat with them, you know, don't eat with them. And so you've got contrary recommendations coming from the same word of God, just like you have a heads and the tails, two sides to the same truth. So the question isn't because it doesn't become what's the boundary. The question really becomes what time is it? Ecclesiastes says. There's a time to every purpose under heaven. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, uh, Kathy, uh, that we, you know, the Holy Spirit, I mean, is really our GPS system. Um, I I don't particularly like the GPS systems on the car where you've got Myrtle or whoever it is telling you where to go and what to do and you, you know, miss. But I like, I like and I need the Holy Spirit. So we have this built-in guidance system we have the Word of God. We need to be really reprogrammed by the, the, the Word of God. But then we have the Holy Spirit to guide us. And the question is, is that what the boundary is, is what time is, what time is it? Uh, Ecclesiastes 3, to everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. And it goes down through, uh, through verse 8. And so, you know, a time to speak, a time to be silent, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, a time to gain, a time to lose, a time to keep, a time to throw away, a time to tear, a time to sow, a time to keep silence, a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time of war, and a time of peace. So we've got all these things, and really it's like, what is the Spirit of God saying to us? 
and you, you notice that Jesus, you know, in a sense, Jesus, you know, didn't really have boundaries. He did always those things that pleased the Father. But in every situation, with every person that he encountered, he didn't deal with anybody the same way. I mean, every every person he dealt with uniquely because it was a unique situation, and uh, he 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 was following the Spirit of God, following the will of the Father. So so it, the thing is, what grace does, it it releases us to to follow the Spirit. What is the Spirit saying? And if we will attune ourselves to the Spirit of God, then we will be at the right place at the right time saying and doing the right thing. Grace also, Kathy, talks to us about love, and love uh, is not offended. Love does not take things personally. I think I know you work with a lot of clients. And, um, Kathy, what is your website? I'm just going to give if people have a chance to go to your website. It's um, www.LibertyHouseMinistry.com. Um, come. Liberty House Ministry, ministry singular. Yes. Or plural. Okay. Dot com. Yeah, yep. Kathy does a lot of the things. You know, the the thing is, you're working with people who are hurt and abused, offended. Jesus never got offended. He never took things personally. It wasn't about him. It was always like Jerry said, to do the will of the Father. And and so love is willing to suffer. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This does not mean that love means you have to stay in an abusive situation. Um, there's mm-hmm. there's a time to go away. There's a time to stay. But you need to know what time it is, and you need to have the peace of God. And, of course, a lot of times when we make these tough decisions, um, there will be painful confusion and, you know, double, you know, doubt and double-mindedness and stuff like that. But really, seriously, I know... Um, the Holy Spirit is with people, but it's not about you taking matters into your own hands. I mean, there, there, for example, are certain things that cannot be tolerated in, a, for example, in a family, a relationship, safety of children, safety of, of people's physical well-being. We're not saying you got to stay no matter what. That's not what love suffers. Love suffers by going away sometimes. Love suffers by abiding, praying, uh, believing God, um, being unjustly accused. But in all of these things, all things work together for good to those who love God. And that's just not to be a cliche. It's really that we're putting our 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 life, our faith in action through obedience. Does that answer your question or do you want to add anything more to that? Or... Well, you did answer my question. The one thing that I see in the boundaries, you're, then you're putting really putting those things into your own hands and you're not listening to the Holy Spirit, you're making it yourself, your decisions, not on, on your feelings and your reasoning mm-hmm. where you, when it's the time to do it, it's, it's that. It's what, what time is it? Yeah. I like that. Yeah. That's very good. So Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And one more thing, Kathy. It's, it's not just a matter of situation ethics either it's it's mm-hmm. a matter of truth and in what time is it and how like as we said so sometimes we get that confused with situational ethics that truth varies depending on the circumstances but truth is always truth and and that's 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 unchanging but it's just a matter of knowing how to apply the truth in the various situations that we encounter and that's why as counselors we need to have the wisdom of God and 
and the Spirit of God to uh, encourage people in the right directions. Because a lot of times when people are in trouble like that, they'll get all kinds of opinions and they'll seek all kinds of advice that's, you know, confusing and, and, and contradictory as well. But, hey, Kathy, you know what we need to do is we need to stir this up a little bit because I would mm-hmm. love to have people call with their problems. So um, on your okay. end over there in Wisconsin and my and, and our turf over here, um, we'd like to just invite you next week uh, to, to tune in, take down the number. And if you've got a, a, a health issue, um, a deliverance issue, a spiritual question, whatever it might be, we just really, really want you to, to make this your show, make this your program, and give us um, those, um, those questions. Again, the number is, and you can catch this number on the Life Recovery website too, is 347-215-8051. Okay. Anybody else out there? Okay. It's quiet out there, honey. I think we've solved all the problems for tonight. So um, what would you like to say in saying goodbye? How would you like to do that? Oh, wait. We got one more commercial. We should do that last commercial, the one about, um, and thank you, Desiree, for all your awesome commercials and all your help. Okay. We'll, say, we'll give you the commercial, and then we'll come and say goodbye. Life Recovery offers a wide variety of books, teaching manuals, CDs, and DVDs, all designed to expose Satan's lies and equip believers with the powerful weapons of spiritual warfare. Okay, there's, there's the advertisement for the store on liferecovery.com. But if you have questions and you're a little shy and don't want to exactly talk on the phone here, why don't you email them to us at info. Or, or you can chat with us too, Des does, whatever that means. You can chat with her. But anyway, you can email us your questions at info, I-N-F-O, at liferecovery.com. And uh, there's a million zillion questions out there, so we should be able to talk about something until Jesus gets back. And so um, if you don't come up with some questions, uh, we'll just start coming up with the questions. And, and uh, But we'd love to hear from you. Thank you again for joining us tonight. God bless you. And uh May the Lord continue to give you a, a deep hunger for his word. May you eat his food, his word like it's food to your soul and uh, love the revelation of Jesus Christ. And thank you so much for listening. We'll be back uh, next week. Have a great evening. God bless you. Because there's a war for your soul.